welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hello, this is Buddy C. Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. Today we have Derek, we have Brian, Derek, and Drew. So good to have you guys. We'll be talking about the 24th verse. For any announcements, go to buddyc.org. I do want to mention in the resources, I know um, that folks, especially new in recovery, we're an alcohol recovery podcast or actually addiction recovery more than just alcohol. But we talk about how mostly the Tao Te Ching um, shows us uh, a different light on a higher power or the higher power than what we might see from some other texts. And we talk about how that relates to recovery. Uh, if you go to buddyc.org and go to resources, uh, there's 30 tools to stay sober. You could use any time, but especially during the holidays. I know this will post between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Make sure and put that to use. There's also a downloadable PDF of that if you want to post it in different meetings that you go to. That's at buddyc.org. You can find that under resources. Okay, today we'll be discussing the 24th verse of the Tao Te Ching. Got Stephen Mitchell. Go ahead, Drew. He who stands on tiptoe doesn't stand firm. He who rushes ahead doesn't go far. He who tries to shine dims his own light. He who defines himself can't know who he really is. He who has power over others can't empower himself. He who clings to his work will create nothing that endures. If you want to accord with the Tao, just do your job, then let go. Thank you. I will read the Derek Lynn. Those who are on tiptoes cannot stand. Those who straddle cannot walk. Those who flaunt themselves are not clear. Those who presume themselves are not distinguished. Those who praise themselves have no merit. Those who boast about themselves do not last. Those with the Tao call such things leftover food or tumors. Oh, I see that now. They despise them. Thus, those who possess the Tao do not engage in them. In other words, those who possess the Tao don't walk on tiptoes, they don't straddle, they don't flaunt, they don't presume, they don't praise themselves, and they don't boast about themselves. Yeah, that you, someone who follows a Tao would call those things leftover food or tumors. It'd be a tumor to talk about yourself or pride, ego, all those things. I think what he's saying there. Anyone else have a translation? I can read the... Ron Hogan. Okay. Um, keep your feet firmly planted unless you want to fall on your face. Learn how to pace yourself if you want to get anywhere. Don't call attention to yourself if you want people to notice your work. Nobody respects people who always have excuses. Nobody gives credit to people who always take it. People who hype themselves have nothing else to offer. Think of being in touch with the Tao like eating at a buffet. Take only what you need. Save some for everybody else. 
That's good. I have the Alan Dale one, from, if you want. Yes. So I was curious. Avoiding voids is the title. Verse 24, standing on tiptoe will only make you tipsy. Walking with long strides will not allow a long walk. Shining the light on yourself will never enlighten you. Being self-righteous precludes you from being right. <laughs> Boasting about yourself will never boost your eminence. Parading yourself parodies leadership. Tao consciousness avoids the cultivation of all these ego bloated voids. That's good. <laughs> Jonathan Starr, on his tiptoes, a man is not steady. Taking long strides, he cannot keep pace. To the self-serving, nothing shines forth. To the self-promoting, nothing's distinguished. To the self-appointing, nothing bears fruit. To the self-righteous, nothing endures. From the viewpoint of Tao, this self-indulgence is like rotting food and painful growths on the body. Things that all creatures despise. So why hold on to them? When walking the path of Tao, this is the very stuff that must be uprooted, thrown out, and left behind. If you arrogantly insist on being right, you will always be wrong. One who blinds others with their success will ultimately fail. That's a quote from another one. Yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah, this is just a big warning about self-centeredness. Staying, staying away from taking more than you need, making the making the story all about yourself. The the tiptoe metaphor that all of them started with. It, it warned against if you stand on tiptoes, you're not stable. You're more likely to fall. And one one image that came to my mind about the tiptoes is. If I'm on my tiptoes trying to see more, then I'm preventing somebody behind me from seeing at all. The more of the view that I try to take in by standing on my tiptoes, the the more I'm preventing people behind me from seeing anything. So just another way that I've, I looked at that tiptoe metaphor it also reminded me, I read about a study a couple of days ago about people who talk about themselves. And it found that the more somebody talks about themselves, the more they alienate other people, really. Talking about yourself gives you a little bit of a dopamine boost. It creates a little bit of a happy feeling in your mind. But like all, quick sources of dopamine you can get addicted to that really quickly you can get addicted to talking about yourself you can get addicted to boasting about yourself and then the more you do it the less of a good feeling you get from it so you keep having to do it more and more and that gets you stuck in your own self stories it gets you stuck in wanting to make everything about yourself and it turns people off <laughs> and then when you realize you're turning people off, you want to get more and more attention and it just becomes such a self-repeating cycle. So it, it seems like, so you recognize that 2,500 years ago when 
we're proving that's correct today. Human nature, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's our, when we're, that's what our fear does, I think, is when we're still operating from a base of fear rather than uh, compassion. I had a friend that used to say, that's enough talking about me. Let's talk about me some more. <laughs> he who tries to shine dims his own light. I like that. That's the Stephen Mitchell. He who defines himself can't know who he really is. He who has power over others can't empower himself. I was thinking about, I was taught early in life, the phrase was not to toot my own horn. But if I'm to get complimented, I need to let someone else compliment me, not me. And I've learned to, but sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes I want to compliment myself. I want to drop names or mention I wrote a book or that kind of stuff. The podcast, just drop things to him. When I'm in a recovery environment that would impress some people, like I want that kind of thing. I've learned not to do that. Um, I go to a meeting most Sundays. I don't think anyone there even knows. I've been going there for a couple of years, and I don't think they know about anything other than I love it because I can just be one of everyone. They don't expect nothing of me. When I go back home to a meeting, sometimes I feel like, there's a little pedestal there and I, I don't like that. I don't like that. And I've found that when I am in you know group meetings or just with a group of people or even just with another person, shining the spotlight on them is it, I'm calmer. I'm I'm much more present and in the moment when I'm asking people about themselves, asking follow up questions, listening to them. It's it's much more enjoyable to me than than talking about myself, trying to make them think a way about me that I want them to think about me. And uh, I, it, it was somebody like Dale Carnegie, somebody like that, said that if you want somebody to think that you're interesting, take an interest in them. You don't have to say anything about yourself, but if you just show an interest in somebody and ask about them and ask follow-up questions, get to know them, then they're going to walk away from that experience thinking you're one of the most interesting people they've ever met, even though you didn't really talk about yourself at all. You just showed an interest in them. And those are some of the best conversations I've had recently, or when I'm not talking about myself, I'm just taking in the other person, learning about them, getting them to shine a spotlight on themselves. Thank you, Drew. Lori? Good morning. Good morning. So it's, I love how this has, it's come up in a different way. I've had a big conversation with my sponsor this week about pride. And this ties right into that. I, I, we had worked on a saying, sayings kind of helped me to remember in the moment, I write them on my hand sometimes, R-E-D, don't react, engage, or defend. Don't react, engage, or defend. And that is just checking in. The pause is so important for me because otherwise, how do I know? If I think before I'm speaking, <laughs> what's my motive? Am I trying to, am I actually reacting? It's so second nature. And I can't say that's because of the way I was raised or because I'm female and it was a very male dominated 
workplace, blah, 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 whatever. I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> I don't need to defend. I don't need to sway you to my way of doing something or it's such a 180 for me to engage the world without having to prove myself somehow. That's massive. And so talking to my sponsee this week, I'm like, think about it carefully before you speak. Are you trying to look good or be right? That's all. Just ask those questions. The react, engage, and defend, like it wears off after a while. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. But so to switch it up and say, okay, now am I looking good or being right? And I love that this says it in such a cute way. Like, don't standing on tiptoes is like trying to look good all the time. (laughs) And taking leaps and bounds, like walking ahead, that's being right. Like, I'm ahead of you. I'm ahead of the conversation. I'm ahead of the best way to do this, whatever this is. It's, I love it. It's just like reading a big book. It's, there's always something you can, that relates to. Uh, your current, my current experience of life and challenges or conversations. So brilliant. I'm so glad I tuned in. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> he who defines himself can't know who he really is. Mm. So how do we, is that kind of what Drew was talking about with, I can only know myself when I'm willing to know you thinking? Yeah. He who has power over others can't empower himself. So I'm empowered by giving you, not 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 dominating you, Drew. Yeah, on the the he who defines himself can't know who he really is. That excuse me, that reminds me of if I'm always telling myself stories about myself, this always happens to me. I'm the type of person who always does this. I should be doing this because I am this type of person. That's just a really, it's a kind of a limiting way of living. And it it gets me trapped in, in cycles, just living in my own head and, and telling the same stories about myself that I've been telling for years. That that just gets me trapped in just a bunch of circular thoughts rather than accepting what's happening or accepting that I've changed. Maybe in the past I was a certain way, but I'm not anymore. But I can't let go of that that belief because sometimes it is more comfortable to just tell myself, oh, I am this way. That's why I need to. That's why I'm acting this way. It just keeps me stuck instead of allowing me to maybe try something new, build some changes into my life. So that's what that line reminded me of. Thanks, Drew. The Jonathan Starr says that all the self-promotion is like rotting food and painful growths on the body. It's counterintuitive, but when I promote myself, I'm really not promoting. It's not going to give me the intention that I want. The, the intended effect is not there. It's interesting that he goes on. I'm looking at Stephen Mitchell. He who clings to his work, now he shifts to work. 
to give us an example, clings to his work will create nothing that endures. If you want to be in accord with the Tao, just do your job, then let go. That could be for more than just your physical job. That could be for any interaction with a person. If we cling to our success or our something that we do that we think is promotes us in some way or anything, we, if we cling, it's not going to endure, period. I, I take that as a warning not to get caught up in wanting to receive accolades or credit or um, recognition for what you've done. That you can, I know in the past I've done something either work related or around the house or something, um, and not gotten the recognition or thanks or credit or whatever from somebody else that I thought I deserved. And I, I should have been just happy with the job I did and proud of the work that I did, but instead I got caught up in resentments for for other people not giving me what I wanted them to give me. The good reminder of how internal motivation, internal rewards are much more fulfilling than trying to get external rewards. Thank you, Drew. Hey, there's a lot here for me. It's bringing up a lot for me. This is Derek. I was going to, the, the first thing kind of brought up was this, thing I realized after I started going into the rooms and had a little bit of um, sobriety essentially and I would go play soccer pick up soccer I don't anymore but this is back then and there we had to change positions constantly because there was a bunch of us who just show up and play in a field and I would I would get put in goalie sometimes or I would volunteer <clears throat> but I would naturally or subconsciously, I should say, be a really bad goalie. <laughs> and I, I never realized it because I didn't want to be a goalie. I want to be out there scoring goals and or at least kicking balls more than a goalie gets to. And I remember one day just getting in the goal and realizing what I was doing and going, holy macaroni. Because uh, there was this guy um, in my first home group gym who would always say, I just want to be another bozo on the bus. And I was like, what does that mean? That sounds funny, like bozo on the bus. Like, but he was talking about, I just talked about something that he did in his life and then wanted to just be in the middle of the bus or whatever, or just not worried about if he's at the front or back. And I didn't get it at first. And it's interesting because it's not my nature to want to be another bozo on the bus, to be just another bozo on the bus. Like my nature, like reading this and thinking about it is to immediately want to put myself at the back of the bus. Like I'm not comfortable with praise or it does feel good, but it's like, I'm not comfortable with it. And then I'll, so I'll put myself at the back of the bus, just be a bad goalie or that's my way. I'm still trying to get what I want out of it. You know what I mean? And I'm so then I was like, what if I just try to be the best goalie I can while I'm there? And then when I get taken out, I try to be the best whatever else. And it's like, that's just not my natural way, though, is a thing. But it's, it's interesting and still deal with this today. Just like what Drew said about if I do the dishes, 
I'll wait till my wife comes home to unload the dishwasher, which is really, that's messed up if you think about it. Because I could just, I'm getting better about it. But it's like, I want to make sure she sees that. Oh, she pulled in the driveway. I'm going to start unloading the dishwasher. Because I got to get credit. And it, it, yeah, work too. It's at work too. It's, I did a thing, a project once that I considered prestigious. Maybe others would. I got back from it and nobody said anything. And I was just like so angry. I think I talked to you about it, buddy. I was like, what? You know, <clears throat> I need to be writing a paper, or writing an article about this. For a year, I was angry about it. It was like so messed up <laughs> to be like that. But anyways. You you lectured at Harvard, right? Wasn't that the time you, you lectured? Yeah, since you brought it up, yeah. It's, it's, no. <laughs> no, I just... Went, That's something that, that really is a big deal, though. The reason I mentioned it is because that is a big deal. I thought so, but and, and I think it is. I, don't get me wrong. I think it is. But the way I felt about it when I got back is I may as well have done something really... I may as well have gone and committed a crime. Because I felt like crap for a year after. And it's like, why do you need, why do I need to do that? Like, why can't I just feel good about what I did? I, I did, but it's like, it was balanced with this. They didn't even recognize it. It was just one lecture. It was like a, a presentation, but it's, I put so much on it. It was like, this is, this is it. This is everything now. Now everything's great. Now everything's going to be different now. And it's like, nope. It's just another, it's a Wednesday now. It's Wednesday. Well, now tomorrow's Thursday. And it's interesting. It was like, that to me was like really interesting experience. And looking back at it, it's, I may as well have not done it if I'm going to approach it certain ways. You were defining yourself by that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I bought special shoes for it. These like pointy shoes. I never wear pointy shoes. And I remember I, I felt stupid once I put them on and I was like, what am I doing? Like it was just, I was not handling it. And I, yeah, I imagine if I did it all the time, maybe it would be different, but it was just like, I put a lot on it and I don't know. It's interesting, but it's asking us to go against our natural need to be the center of attention in some way. Yes. Yes. That's a great example. Thank you, Derek. Well, it reminded me of the paradoxes, because when we come into recovery, we I really have to throw my old thinking out and look at every what are they a new pair of glasses is another phrase that comes to mind. I mean, I came into recovery thinking that I prayed and God helped me to stay sober, that it was a matter of me getting help with the part that I couldn't do. And I realized that thinking had to totally change. It wasn't the part I couldn't do. I couldn't do any of it. I had to learn how to step aside and allow it to be done for me. And that's a total different take. We'll read the paradoxes real quick because uh, I think they would apply to this because me not living a life of self-promotion, like, like has been said, is counterintuitive. It's not what I think would work. These are from the story, the professor and the paradox that we're in, I think, the second edition of the big book, maybe third, too. They're not in the fourth edition. We surrender to win. On the face of it, surrendering certainly does not seem like winning, but it is an AA only after we have come to the end of our rope. 
hit a stone wall and some aspect of our lives beyond which we can go no further. Only when we hit bottom in despair and surrender can we accomplish sobriety, which we could never accomplish before. We must and we do surrender in order to win. I'm just going to read the other three, just the phrase itself. We give away to keep. We suffer to get well. We die to live. I thought I needed to shine my light brighter, but the, the brighter I shine it, the dimmer it gets, right? Yeah. Hmm. Would you read them again, Bunny? Yes. And I'll put a link in the episode notes, too, for anyone who wants these. We surrendered. We surrender to win. We give away to keep. We suffer to get well. We die to live. Yeah, I'll make sure and put this link in the notes. But it really is. the All of recovery is counterintuitive, isn't it? I just have to set my thinking aside. Because I learned it had nothing to do with what I thought would work. It had everything to do with the action I took. So I learned to take action in recovery, whether I believe it will work or not. And once I take action, I start seeing it working for me. That's the opposite of what I used to believe. I used to think I believe something, I would be changed, and then I would behave differently. Now that's flipped on its head. I take action that I don't think will work. And then I start changing. <laughs> That's nothing to do with what I believe at all. That's why if somebody asks about a higher power or God or any of that, my experience, uh, I believe uh, in a in what's greater than me. But my recovery is not based on what I believe. It's based on that action. So I usually tell folks that ask me about it, don't worry about it. Just start taking the action. Take the action. And normally that means starting to help others, starting to be open-minded, talk about the first three steps, but get started on your fourth step. Because once you share that fourth step with a sponsor and start applying some tools, those tools will work in work change in your life and work and you will begin to know what it is that you believe based on your actions. For example, the one I mention often, the resentment prayer, 552 in the fourth edition of the big book. I, I pray for someone, whether I believe it will work or not, if I have a resentment against them, if I can ask the things I would want, pray for them to have, even if I believe it's empty words, do it anyway. No belief whatsoever involved. Action. Because even if I believe it and I don't take the action, it doesn't work. It's the action that causes it to work, not the belief. That's what I've learned. If you want to be in accord with the Tao, just do your job, then let go. Reminded me of Dennis that comes sometimes. He bought someone a big book and then got mad because they didn't stay sober. <laughs> he thought he wasted his money buying them a big book. He was tiptoeing, wasn't he? It's, that's a funny story, and I know he wouldn't mind me sharing it again. I think he shared it on the podcast before. But that's the holding on to the job, right? That's the holding on is that we attach these expectations. And when those expectations aren't met, then it causes us angst. That's good. Thank you. So how do I let go? It says let go, but it doesn't tell us how. I think it does, but it's hard. We have to maybe talk about it. It's not apparent. Maybe if you go back up 
where I'm and I'm at the I'm on the Stephen Mitchell. When we empower others rather than dominate them, that's a way I can let go. When I it says here, define himself. He won't know who he really is, but the way that would apply for me would be when I encourage others, then I'm encouraged myself. I help someone when someone's being judgmental, if I encourage them instead, those are ways I can let go. I can also pray for someone else who has difficulty letting go. We all know folks that are struggling with some of the same things we are. Actually, I'll read from we'll get a little big book in this morning before we close. Page 84. This is a 10th step. It says that we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. We should continue for our lifetime. It should continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, these are the things that I'm that's causing me to hold on and not let go, right? We ask God at once to remove them. Two, we discuss them with someone immediately. Three, we make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone. And four, we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code, and we have ceased fighting anything and anyone, even alcohol. So those are four things I can do if I'm having difficulty letting go. When I see those things crop up, if I have difficulty asking God to remove them, you can instead, I would say out loud or to myself, how can I get love involved in this situation? How can I? And I'd be open this whole time as to how I could get compassion into what's called into my fear and dishonesty and those things that's going on. I would to I discuss them with someone immediately. I have people I have sponsees who text me, say fear page 84. They're telling me they're dealing with fear and applying this. Make an amend if we've harmed someone. And then we turn our thoughts to someone we can help. We can do that whole process in a matter of 60 seconds. Doesn't mean we got to stop what we're doing and go help somebody. We turn our thoughts to someone we can help. That's changing our thinking. And as a result, we stop fighting everything or we're able to let go is another way to say that, right? Yeah, that's good. That's page 84 in the big book. Any comments, guys? Lori? Yeah, I have a question for you. I've noticed lately when I uh, hang out with other people, I just tend to be more quiet. I think I'm boring, but that's okay. I ask questions. But how does that lead to knowing myself better? I don't quite get that. I'm just being blank because my goal with a lot of situations lately is to let go of expectations. And that's challenging because they're all over the place. Like, uh, how do you walk? How do you talk? How do you dress? How do you react? What do you say? What all the, there's so many nuances and there's so much subtlety to it. What does that mean to get to know yourself through observing others? I don't know. That's all. I'm intrigued by that idea because I'm in the process and it's challenging because you think that defines you, all those things, all your expectations, your ideals, your beliefs. 
And if that doesn't define you, then what does? How many times have you gone to, thank you, Lori. How many times have you gone to a meeting and when you would take the time to listen, you hear what you need to hear? That's an example of that, is that you're open-minded and open-hearted. And, and, and I think what happens, Lori, is we move from thinking, knowing that comes from thinking to knowing that comes from an unconscious place, an unconscious knowing. And that change, it, it, for me, it happens when I'm considerate of others. It seems I this comes up that this knowing comes up that wasn't there before. And it happens very organically. Mm. And it's part of that paradox that we're talking about. The paradoxes. Why do I feel better when I treat you? Looks like it would be the opposite, that when you treat me well, I would feel better. I'm, I might feel good, but if I make it all about me, I don't. That doesn't work. Eventually, that's I'm, that doesn't bring the peace I'm looking for. But it goes back to that life being a mirror. I, I, I need to give. I get what I give. If I'm getting anger and drama from everyone, how am I giving anger and drama? I think that's part of this. If I spend my time encouraging others, guess what? I'm going to feel good about myself. Now, it might take a while because it's a slow process. It's not something that this said it's not an overnight matter. We continue for a lifetime. So it's a slow, gradual thing. But it does work. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Drew. It's just a thought I had about Lori's question. and that, That's a great question. How do I grow? How do I become the person who I most like to be when I'm not putting the focus on myself? It does seem paradoxical. And one thought that came to my mind was if I were an artist, if I were a painter, if I'm painting the same thing over and over, if I'm just attached to the thing I'm painting, if I'm showing everybody my paintings, then I just, I'm not growing. I'm attached to what I'm doing. I have this one thing that I'm doing. But when I stop, take the focus off of my creations, start looking at other people's creations, start talking to them about their process, listen to them about their influences and where they get their ideas and how they bring those to life, um, then I can grow. I'm taking myself stories, taking my images that I've known for years, putting those aside, bringing in influences from others, then that can help me get, get my ideas, get my thoughts out in just a little bit different way, add a new texture, add a new hue to what I've been doing before. That was just the thought I had. Thank you, Drew. Good conversation today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah, anyway, I'm clinging to me. Nothing's going to endure from that. What I do becomes valuable by me expressing value in you and what you do. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Okay, guys, thank you for being with us today. Great conversation. We hope to see you next week. Thank you. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. 
These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.